Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. The Detroit Pistons select Sekou Dubuya. The boy gets run off the line. Down the lane. My goodness. Look at that. Pistons come right back at him with a bruise. Jam. Dishes to Luke for the long gun. It goes. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Pistons versus Everybody, the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson, joined tonight by Kyle Maggio, a fellow Blue Wire bro of the Knicks Wall podcast and Whistle Sports. What's up, Kyle? You know, um, weirdly excited to see our bad basketball teams return after 10 some odd months, it feels like. So even though it's just preseason, I'm a little bit excited. Uh, at least for a week, you know, just just those initial games, but ready to go. It is like weird how much I missed my super crappy team, right? Definitely. I mean, it's look at at the end of the day, everybody wants a winning team. Everybody wants a great team. We know that's, that's the end goal for fandom is to cheat, uh, cheer for a a team as, as good as, you know, those warriors teams, Lakers that just won. Everybody knows, but there's something endearing about our garbage franchises, even still. Even still, we know it's not going to be our year, but even still, there's something about the fresh new season coming up. Rooting for a bunch of young guys. I know Killian we're going to talk about, but like that was a guy I was, you know, I wanted coming into the draft. Now I get to root for uh, in my own conference to some degree. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it is what it is. I think there's some hope for our young teams, but mostly it's just, hey, uh, it's about time, you know. I, I we need to have this kind of misery in our life uh, regularly scheduled every, you know, fall, winter, and early spring. So it felt wrong being delayed, but we're back. We're back. We're back. Uh, I wanted to. I wanted to start with the draft because for for weeks, for weeks, all I saw was, uh, you know, I know the Knicks are going to disappoint me in the draft. I just don't know how it's going to happen from you. And so I wanted to ask, like, after everything, with the selections of Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly, like, are you disappointed with what the Knicks did? It doesn't seem that bad, honestly. So the the main thing with the Knicks to remember is always, like, the context is hell. Like, the bar is hell. You know what I mean? Like, we start, <laughs> like, that. that's that's always the starting point. And that, like, that's how I wanted, that's how I approached this draft. And I needed to start there on this pod for that, ex- for this reason. So yeah, so my main thing is like, look, the bar is hell here, and we need offense in the worst way. I want, I would prefer it from a point guard. I'd prefer it from a point guard who could score, play, make, do everything, right? That's kind of why I, why I wanted Killian or Kyrie Lewis Jr. or any of the number of semi-intriguing guards that were available at that time. But my main objective every single draft is offense. And all the Knicks fans love to you know laugh at me. Joke, you know, I'm a points per game guy. I don't care about defense. None of this stuff is true. The whole point is the Knicks are always league worst in offense, like post Carmelo years. They're, they're league worst in offense every single season. There's no shooting, there's no threes. So they took two swings on guys who are at least offensive swings. 
that's that's basically why I'm okay with it, why I'm happy. You you took what is arguably one of the more NBA ready prospects, if not one of the most, at least offensively ready NBA prospects in Obi Toppin, whether or not Julius Randle blocks him remains to be seen. Um the next yeah, thing that, that obviously was coming. That was coming. Th- that was certainly coming, and it's a very big concern for me and basically any of this uh OB projections that I would have. But you know, aside from that, we needed shooting. Um I would have preferred a guy who was a little bit more of a, a a standard point guard, I guess. Um, there's some concerns with quickly and his handling and, you know, we got to see about the defense if it's going to translate over. But um, I mean, the kid shoots 43% from deep. We never have shooting. He's a guard who can shoot that. Therefore I'm happy. And I guess maybe some of that playmaking stuff is less of a concern if they're going to, uh, you know, lean into the prototypical Tibbs thing, which is like the, the Jimmy Butler, get a good wing who could play, make a little bit stuff. So I don't really know what the Knicks are going to do, man. I think, the draft was okay because they swing they swung on offense. I think Miles Powell was a good undrafted pickup, but it really for me, like these moves are only gonna make sense if they like do the sensical stuff now heading into the season, which is of course always the concern and the like the central issue to the Knicks. So what about okay. uh what about you? How how did you feel with the, the draft and you know, stealing one Killian Hayes from the New York Knicks? That felt good. I'm not gonna lie. It felt really good because I had heard that Killian really wanted to come to Detroit. And I had also heard that he was not super enamored with uh, the New York Knicks. Can't Stern imagine buffet. why. Yeah. Uh, then, like, you know, it was like, okay, well, we'll see what else happens. They pick up uh, they pick up Isaiah Stewart. They pick up Sadiq Bey. They trade Luke Kennard in four second-round picks. Like, that was, that was seemed like a lot for Luke Kennard. Uh, but then... You know, we knew about the knee troubles and stuff, so that felt a little weird. But still, like, you you expect that it wouldn't take four second-round picks to, quote-unquote, like, offload Luke Kennard. You'd think he had more value than that. But ultimately, like, it was just a, the beginning of, like, a complete restructuring, a complete overhaul <laughs> of the team. And so for for one night, at least, I think fans were, were really excited. And then uh, free agency happened, and uh, a lot of people would have a lot more questions. But yeah, getting Killian Hayes out of everything, uh, great starting point. Great starting point. Making making Sekou Dumbuya uh, happy and at ease. I think he's a good place to start. And he's a good player on his own, you know? Definitely, definitely. Look, I mean, I was just happy for you guys because you know how this works in the NBA. You got to get a point guard. Like, you, you got to get a point guard. You can't not have one. This is what I try to tell Knicks fans all the time. It's cute that you think you could have a defense-only point guard. It doesn't work that way. You need a point guard who could do point guard stuff. It's very simple. If they can shoot even better, then that's great. That's what you're looking for in 2020. But you got to start somewhere where they can do something offensively. And at least it looks like you guys are headed on the right track there with Killian. That's a guy that I know a lot of Knicks fans wanted, if not the most of every you know of all the prospects uh mm-hmm. point guards anyway um a lot of people were bullish on him so i would hope that all these knicks fans are right i would hope that you guys uh as you head into this bright new power forward future of yours uh, you have killian leading the charge and it's really a delight i actually did have one question for you though i yeah. was curious about that canard trade in general because i i didn't get the vibe that you guys were like dying to move on from him i thought he was like legit pretty good and i was actually eyeing him for maybe you know the knicks down the road if you know when we needed to uh, take a chance on a shooter but i was a little bit surprised like the urgency of which you guys kind of got him out of there yeah i think uh i was too to be perfectly honest but 
if we're being realistic, I think the the a big tell was that there was never any like rumblings or whispers or rumors around uh, a post rookie extension for him, which is like kind of the obvious move uh, for a guy on a team, especially like as bad as the Pistons are, right? Like you 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 see guys or you see teams like the Knicks like sniffing around him. You lock him into a couple more years, and then if it doesn't work, you can trade him down the road. But they, I guess they decided that they wanted to move on immediately and paid a big premium to do so. And like, I is uh, the, the, uh, the value like on the, uh, like the trade chart is not a great like trade chart evaluation, but if Sadiq Bay works out and they, they're able to purchase more second round picks, like it's not going to kill them. But that was like the start of the trend where it's like they didn't really highly value what they had on the roster. And so they were they were willing to pay extra. Right. They're willing to throw in stuff uh, in trades to get these guys out of here. They're willing to wave and stretch guys. Right. To to create the cap space that they need uh, to get the guys that they wanted in here. And I guess uh, we, we, we shouldn't have been surprised in retrospect that a a team full of scouts, a front office full of scouts and people with scouting backgrounds, like didn't really want to play like the trade chart game, right? Like they just wanted their guys. And that's how that went down, I think. It's definitely fair. Um tra- trading's a hairy, hairy business. Obviously very surprising. Um I was hoping <laughs> for more uh trading from the Knicks. Uh not Westbrookian or, or or John Wall, but I was hoping for a little bit more movement. But it looks yeah. like I, yeah, I, your, your offseason was pretty like quiet, all things considered. I mean, like you guys had a ton of cap space and used it on, you know, like Nerlens Noel and Austin Rivers and Alec Burks, like not necessarily like huge. There was no like Fred Van Fleet coming in at like two years or like uh, four years, hundred million dollars or anything like that. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, the. There were some incorrect rumblings about, you know, we were going to be looking for a short term deal for Hayward when it was eventually put out that we were going to throw like four years over a hundred some odd million at him. That was the only thing that I wanted to avoid, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, Fred was like the only signing I was hoping that they made. They obviously did not. Aside from that, like on the trade market, like I I like that little ridiculous Ed Davis thing. you know, trading trade around that they did where they picked up like three seconds for just facilitating his salary. Um, they did some decent stuff. It's like it's not stuff that's going to kill you. They didn't do anything that really made any moves. They pretty much just punted another year uh, for what feels like the third or fourth offseason in a row with just short one year deal. So uh, this is like probably the last year that I'm going to be OK with them doing nothing. Um <laughs> This is the way that I've worded fans like when you're as bad as the Knicks are every year, like Knicks fans will always tell you like, well, there's just another year. Well, we've already waited this long. Like, well, let's just wait another year till it's perfect, till it's a perfect scenario. It's always a perfect scenario coming up. But you can't just keep signing like Kazonis every year, man. Like you got to like start taking some risks. Like nobody just wants to see minimum one year deals on guys that don't kill your franchise. That's not the point. The point of this isn't to not kill our franchise. The point of this is to like try to win some games. And in not trying to kill our franchise, we've ended up being like worse than ever historically. So you got to start trying to make some moves, man. That's all that I'm trying to see them do moving forward. I mean, you guys were very aggressive. Like, <laughs> yes. you guys, you guys were like breathtakingly impressive for what I expected of the Detroit Pistons and free agency. I did not 
see that coming at all. Like the, the Jeremy Grant thing, I was like, all right, cool. But then like, why Mason Plumley with Blake Griffin also there? Like, I'm not really sure. Like, well, what do you what do you make of that? Because from from Knicks fans, I, I'm going to I'll be the mouthpiece this one time for them. Uh, th- they were complaining that the Pistons didn't get enough power forward jokes. So, I mean, do you think, <laughs> do you think that it is, it is deserved? Do you think that there should be more made of this? Do I have a, a soapbox to stand on here? Or do you think that there's a little bit of method to their madness? Or you're just waiting to see. I mean, you still have Obi Toppin and Julius Randle, right? So like you, you have a soapbox. It's just like two inches tall. Right. But I mean, you're not, you're not wrong. They added a bunch of power forwards. They added a bunch of big men. The GM came out during media week and was like, yeah, I love big guys. Like, you win through defensive rebounding. And everybody's like, yeah, he's not wrong. But, like, you traded for, like, five of them. And you ended up with three somehow. But still, we were we were worried for a second there. Um, but I think the thought right now is that, like, they're going to play Jeremy Grant and Blake Griffin together and, and Mason Plumley, And because Jeremy Grant is an okay catch-and-shoot or a pretty good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, it's going to be fine from a spacing perspective. If Blake is fully healthy, he's also a pretty good like pull-up three-point shooter. So like it's not these are big dudes, but they they are still big dudes who can space the floor. So it's not going to kill you from a young point guard development perspective. But also like the way I've been thinking about the Jeremy Grant thing mainly is that he makes way more sense for this team when Blake Griffin is no longer on the team, right? And we know that uh we heard that they were looking to trade Blake Griffin, right? There were there were rumors that of a of a Wall Blake swap. Um, I heard those rumors. Uh, I heard what was going to be involved in that trade. I was not looking forward to that happening, and so I'm glad it didn't. What was going to be involved in that trade? If you don't mind me interrupting you, it was uh, it was John Wall, uh, the Wizards pick this year, and either Troy Brown or a future first, uh, for Blake and like some stuff. I don't think so. I'm with yeah, you. I don't. I don't think yeah. so. That's kind of gross. That does nothing for me. Yeah, I was not. I was not super enthused. I mean, I I think like if you think about it from like a what they did perspective, right? It's like okay, you pick up Killing Hayes at seven, you pick up like Devin Vassell at nine, and then like you don't have to do the Sadiq Bay trade, so to make you don't trade Luke, or maybe you trade Luke for something else, right? You don't have to attach as much stuff because you're trading Luke for I don't know, like twenty five instead of nineteen or something like that. Like I, I can I can see a world in which it like makes sense, but then it's like, well, John Wall is going to start ahead of Killian Hayes, and so like that's a bad situation to start from right away anyway. So what are we doing? And John Wall's contract runs like another year, another two years longer than Blake's, and so it's like it, it doesn't make sense from a financial perspective either. And it's like, well, we know like people have a lot of like enthusiasm and respect for John Wall, but like he's coming off an injury that was like much, much worse than the injury Blake is coming off of. So like, we don't know what it looks like from a health perspective. And so like, yeah, let's just not do that trade. Let's, let's see if Blake's healthy. Cause I do think that I do think that Blake is fully healthy, right? They've been raving about him at camp and I know it's like, it's training camp. Everyone raves about everyone, but uh, like every time Blake has had adequate time to like fully recover from his injuries, he's been a, a he's returned like a great player. And so, like, I have no doubt in my mind that Blake's ready to go. Um, And I think that if you get a Blake who looks like the Blake from two years ago, if you get a Blake who's, like, you know, 85 90% of the Blake that we saw two years ago, like, you can get a better asset for that dude than three years of John Wall, right? 
I mean, I, I would 100% agree with you. Um, the only thing that I would toe on the line of caution here is if somebody wanted to argue that Russell Westbrook is still in his prime and is a valuable enough asset even with the contract, I would hear you out. I don't, But I don't know anybody else that you can get. Like, the issue with Russ isn't that he's bad. It's that you already kind of, like, know what you're getting in terms of, like, yeah. floor, ceiling, production. Like, he gives you... The exact same season, every season feels like, you know, it's going to be a pretty good one, not great, and that's about it. So that's like the only way that I'd go about it, but I feel like you still could have done better because, like, I agree with you. Like, a healthy Blake is like, people forget what he can do. This isn't just like a score. This is a, a rebounder, a playmaker, a guy that pushes the pace, gets up and down the floor. It's a joy to watch. So I do think if he's actually healthy somewhat consistently, like, yeah, I would imagine you're going to get some kind of a better return than just kind of like a, a lateral move, you know? So it remains to be seen. But, I mean, what do you think of the future there for Blake Griffin? Because this has been fascinating for me. When you guys initially made that trade, it seemed like, all right, well, you got like a bigger, better name in so long as he could stay healthy. And I wasn't sure if it was going to be, you know, a stopgap for him. But – it does now fascinate me because it's like a little part of me, like I like the Pistons. I'd like the Pistons to be good and I'd like Blake to be good for the Pistons, you know, but is that really what's in the cards here? I mean, I think he'll be good for them until he gets traded or hurt, right? Like yeah. those, those, are, those are the only two things that will stop him from being good for the team. He's been great as a leader in the locker room. He's been a great influence on the guys and that's something he can do on or off the court if he's playing or not playing. Um, I think that they will quickly learn to uh, load manage him a little bit more aggressively than they did when uh, they had something to play for. You know, it was it's going to be much easier to load manage Blake when you're not like desperately, desperately, desperately pushing for the eight seed, right? Um, and so I, I think that's I think that's the current plan, right? Um, and I think he is not at the stage in his career where he wants to play for a rebuilding team. I think he's a good enough dude that he doesn't want to like demand a trade, right? He's not going to pull a James Harden, but uh, I do think that he and the team like had a long conversation about like what his job is for this year and how like if uh, that gets accomplished, he like doesn't necessarily, we can, they can take care of him, right? He doesn't have to know. You don't have to get like exiled to Sacramento for buddy healed or something, right? Like we will, we'll find something that makes you happy. And I think they're going to, I think they're going to do their best to, to uh, fulfill their end of that bargain. As long as he's able to stay healthy and play well. Assuming you guys hold on to Blake, at least for, I don't know, most of the season. I mean, what, what do you got? What do you feel? Oh no, this is still going to be bad. It's still, yeah, still going mean, to be real bad. Cause I, I honestly, I figured, and again, I understand like, the Knicks jokes, they're never good. This is not a defense of the Knicks in any way. But, like, last year when they were playing under Mike Miller after the, like, god-awful Fizdale start to the season. Oh, man, was that last year? It felt like that was, like, five years yeah, ago. Yeah, it, it should have been. I've I've made it feel that way in my brain. And I, I was a big – I like taking the chance on Fizdale in the beginning. But, I mean, that was a – as my co-host Mike Cortez likes to call him, a snake oil salesman. I mean, just awful, awful, awful. I mean, we we're getting blown out, like, 40, 40 point – losses like just regularly it was it was bad but anyway Mike Miller had them playing like respectable ball and I think like if if you did the pace from just the Miller era they were on track to be like a 27 28-ish win team which again 
it's a bad team. I'm not defending it. But that starts to get you towards that, like, all right, well, if you had an OB and things start to break right and, you know, Tibbs isn't a total idiot with the way that he handles the team, are we then in that sort of 8-10 to 10 seed contention for the play-ins? And it's like, I figured it was going to be, like, I feel like we were going to haphazardly be in that play-in territory. I joked about it on Twitter, you know what I mean? But I feel like the Pistons, the Cavs, like, it's just going to be us. It's going to be a couple young teams just trying to, like, duke it out in the play-in, and I'm just hoping it's, like, something uh, a little bit more fun. It gives us a little bit something extra to look forward to. I'm going to be shameless rooting for it. I don't really care. They put it in there. They put it in there for me to root for it. I'm going to do it. I mean, me personally, I would not – I don't think they're going to be even close to the play-in, right? Like, I – this was – it's hard to tell because the team got so restructured and – we haven't so we haven't like seen any elements of them play together yet. Like the only four dudes who were still on the team from last year are Blake, Derek, uh, Seku, and Sfi. And like Derek was Blake wasn't playing at the end of last year. Seku was bar- barely playing at the end of last year. We kind of already know what what Sfi is. And like Derek was like starting and, and playing well, but like also like you know not every night because they didn't need him to. And the team was losing like. 11 out of 12 games, despite the fact that like they had Christian Wood like going off every other night. Right. So for me, it's like they have a 19 year old point guard. They have like a bunch of guys who are 25 and under on the wing. And they have a, like, they have a bunch of established like big men. Sure. But like do big men like win you regular season games? Not, not particularly. Right. Like is, is Mason Plumlee going to drop like, 20 and 10 and like win you a random game on a Tuesday in Charlotte, like maybe, but like you're, you're not getting that every night. Right. They, 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 I think, I think the fact that like people are kind of like worried, quote unquote worried about that shows how stealthy a tank they built (laughs) because people, you, you look at the names across the roster and they're like, Oh, Hey, like Josh Jackson, he's a top four pick. Like they still got Blake and Derek. Like those guys are still good. Like we let we love Killian. Like Killian's gonna be great. And it's like eh, Mason Plumley's okay. And it's like eh, like maybe. But then you look and it's like okay, well, like you know, Svi or Daylon Wright's gonna start at shooting guard, right? Like Josh Jackson was a number four pick, but this is his third team in three years, and like he's gonna be heavily involved in the rotation most likely. Like they have maybe like if you think Sadiq Bay is going to step into the league a like 38% three point shooter. They have like maybe two guys who shoot 38% from three, uh, like in the rotation in, in Sfi and Sadiq. They have a 19 year old point guard and like generally 19 year old point guards are not very good in their first year of NBA action. Generally, like if Killian's rookie of the year and he's averaging like, uh, like 15 and seven or something like sure. Like that's a, that's a, that's a uh, gamble you're willing to take. But uh, you don't have those expectations of him going in just because they're not realistic, right? And so, like, yeah, I'd, and then, you know, Washington's going to be good. Atlanta's going to be good. Orlando's going to fight like hell to be good most nights. Um, Cleveland has more, uh, has, like, a better collection of talent across the roster, even if, like, nobody on Cleveland's as good as Blake, right? Um, and so I think, I think it's just, like, I think it's just us two. <laughs> at, at the bottom of the east <laughs> just fighting over Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley right like 
I mean, I would like to. I would like that. Look, this is this is the year that we would like. This is, this to, is a good year. To to if there was look, if there's especially if there's ever a weird season, nobody's gonna remember this shit. Nobody's gonna. There's no <laughs> fans in the arena. There's nobody going to the games. There's no. There's no roars or exciting moments. It's just gonna be like the bubble, right? Except with more empty seats visible all the time, or whatever weird thing they're gonna do with cutouts or whoever right. you know, whatever else. Are they but, are they still gonna play like the organ at MSG if nobody's there? That's so creepy. That's so creepy. I'm I'm just that's an excellent question. And I'm also just thinking about how creepy it would be to just like hear that, you know, hear it just echoing, echoing to nobody. It's just, a nobody. Just t- just tough, man. That's a tough scene to think about. But no, I think I agree with you. I mean, I'm not sold on Atlanta uh, as like a clearly better team. I think I like the guys that they signed. I just got to see it make sense for them a little bit. Um, Orlando, I think, is yeah. I mean, they're they're like the perfectly mediocre NBA team in my yeah, brain. Orlando was built to like win a play-in tournament, right? Like get the ninth yeah. seed and be like, all right, let's win two games and let's get this playoff revenue. Yeah. Like, that's yeah, they're what in, they're there for. They're intensely mediocre, so they're definitely going to be like firmly nine to eight seed territory, like yeah. firm grasp on it. Uh, Washington, I think, I would probably pencil in Washington. For the playoffs with Russ and Beal, just it's out east. I'm just probably going to do that and take the Pacers out. I don't believe in them. Uh, I liked them a little bit last year, but they kill you with twos. I, I don't think that's a sustainable thing. I just think under Nate, they were really damn good at it. So I don't really know uh, what the plan is moving forward there. I'm fine bumping the Pacers for now. But uh, yeah, nah, I mostly agree with you, man. Hey, look, a- any young team to have a chance at anything right now is basically like for us right now, Anything that possibly went well is going to be tied to all the young, optimistic fan takes, which are R.J. Barrett looks a lot better in year two. And O.B. Toppin is, you know, the real deal. And Mitchell Robinson's finally starting games, and it's not Taj Gibson for the, th- you know, second year <laughs> after after they blocked him, you know, with Ennis Cantor the first year. And it's like, it'd be nice if, you know, we can start seeing that. But it's a lot of big ifs. It's too many ifs. There's too many question marks. So, look, yeah, I, I've, been dream- I've been dreaming of Cade. I feel like I feel like I deserve it, you know? Just just me specifically. <laughs> just once. Just just me alone as a Knicks fan. No 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 other no other Knicks fans. Just me. For all the complaining I've done about not having a point guard, bro. For all the whining, for all for all the bitching and moaning and just never having and then getting rewarded with guards who exclusively couldn't shoot for years. For years. Just being forced to watch that. It's been my own personal hell. I deserve Kate and all the good things that comes from Kate. I do. I won't be afraid to say it. I've already got the CAA Cade shirts printed out for when he inevitably signs because his name abbreviates beautifully for it. It's going to be a good time, man. It's meant to be. I see it in the stars. It's written. But, yeah, it's going to be us. It's going to be an ugly, ugly uh, slugfest out east as we fall to the bottom. So I'm excited. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You may not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. Because Lord knows, if you're a Lions fan, there are not going to be that many opportunities for you to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. You go to Bet Online today and take advantage of 
all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, say that three times fast, so that you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria so you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only job site that can move just as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try out Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's their best offer available anywhere. You go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire offer valid through december 31st terms and conditions apply is rj barrett gonna be more of what we hoped he would be in year two do you think like do you think thibs is a good coach for rj barrett weirdly yeah and i don't i don't even like tibbs here at all so let me explain this take because it's a mouthful uh so First of all, I think R.J. Barrett gets a lot of undue flack. Uh, I don't often defend the Knicks, as pretty much everybody knows. Um, but R.J. Barrett, I do give my uh, my cape to, my friend. I do. I do. I got to say, look, R.J. Barrett had maybe, had not maybe, had the worst offense of the league last year, along with also having the worst spacing in the league last year. You know, it was it was such such an obvious thing that as soon as – they drafted him, and as soon as they made those signings, the second the signings were made, every single person said, "Welp!" Like every single Knicks fan, just okay. Well, that's not. I mean, where's the shooting? Like, what do you? Why would you sign him to run into a bunch of you know forwards and, and centers? Like, what's the point of that? And then what did we see? Him running into a bunch of forwards and centers all year. So, what I'd like to point to is after they finally started to clear up some of that, after they got Marcus Morris out of there and, and swindled. The Los Angeles Clippers for a first-round pick. That's right. Swindled because uh, Mook forgot how to shoot as soon as he got to L.A. It was a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> steal. So um, RJ started playing a lot better, man. He closed out the year after the All-Star break. Really, really impressive. Uh, 17 and a half points. About I think it was about four, five rebounds. Four and a half, five rebounds. Uh, about four assists. Uh, turnovers went down. Shooting was way up. He was shooting like 45 and 37. Um and again, that was just a stretch. But my point is, what I saw from him last year, and I know like counting stats aren't supposed to be the, the the end all, and they definitely aren't. But I just saw a really well-rounded game from a smart player at a young age. And I think he's still very rough around the edges. But this was a guy that was really rebounding well, who for a, a, 
a, a rookie, a very young rookie in this league. This was a guy who was at least getting to the basket, struggling to finish, but he was strong, used his body well, you know, good body control to get there, just struggled with the touch around the rim. And, it, you know, the, the shooting, for example, uh, before he had a dip right before the All-Star break that really tanked him underneath 30%. But right before that, he was shooting 34% uh, for a brief time to start the season too. So it's like I've seen a couple of pretty hot, good stretches from him, you know, where he's he's passing well, he's rebounding. And, and honestly, a thing that doesn't get talked about enough for him is his defense, which was, you know, for, a, you know, rookies are always bad on defense. And he was actually like passable, you know, really good using his his arms well, using his size well. Uh, and again, he's just really, really strong, which helps him on both sides. So I, I understand what the shooting numbers look like. And I understand on Twitter, the discourse basically revolves around, you know, first and foremost, are you efficient? And then second, are you efficient? And third, are you efficient? And then we could talk about the rest of your game. So from that standpoint, I understand. And shooting and efficiency is king in 2020 and beyond. So he has to clean it up. But for as awful as they were run and as limited as they let his opportunities be last year, I thought I saw him making, you know, pretty good impact in a number of different ways. So I would like to think them just cleaning up the roster like minimally like they have and just signing more guards than forwards is a good thing for him because he plays he doesn't just play the two. He plays like two slash three. Uh he matches up well, uh kind of either spot. So I don't think anybody's blocking him. I think that kind of wing spots his for the taking as a whole. And I think like in terms of the Tibbs part, I just think like Tibbs likes having like a wing playmaker, the way he's always used Jimmy Butler, but whether it was in Chicago where he was kind of on his own in, in the post, you know, Rose years where he was just trying to make do and stay alive. Or once he got to Minnesota and it was Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, and it was still like Jimmy playing like wing playmaker role. So I do think that there's some, you know, hunches about that being the plan. Uh, nothing's been definitively laid out, but it's been, you know, sort of the the thinking that they're going to rely on RJ a lot, which Tibbs always picks a guy. Tibbs always picks a guy. It's always a workhorse. And usually those two have a pretty good relationship. And at least one guy is pretty successful under him. If I was a betting man, I would bet on RJ Barrett for that. Um, remains to be seen with the rest of the roster. I don't know what they plan to do with like Obi and everything, but like, the RJ stuff, I'm I'm like weirdly confident that at least those two are going to make something look pretty good. Okay, okay. I mean, I remember how RJ played uh, in a couple of like high profile games. I have always kind of liked the uh, the completeness to his game, but I I just worry about the creativity on offense right like i worry about the spacing i worry that uh even if he's like even if he's given the ball a lot and told to go be like a wing facilitator if he's on the floor with like alfred payton again and you know julius randall and will be topping at the same time and yep. like nerland Noel, like that's that's a tricky thing for a second year guy even a second year guy like to uh to navigate and so i uh I, I, I want to bet on RJ the dude. I just don't know if he's going to be put in like amazing position to succeed. But like you could say that about, you know, anybody on the Pistons as well, right? Like that's that's also very true of Seku, who like right now like isn't going to start, um, isn't going to be like a key guy off the bench either. Um, 
and like is going to be playing a lot of his minutes with like Derrick Rose, who's going to not exactly be like a huge boon to his like on ball development. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm I'm sympathetic, but I I like what I've seen uh, from RJ so far and I hope he he continues it. Uh, But yeah, now I got to ask about Julius Randle, though, because like is Julius like Julius Randle does not. We talked about like a guy who like Tibbs takes under his wing and like who Tibbs really likes it doesn't really feel like Julius Randle's going to be that guy. And he still has what, this is not his final year, right? He's got one more year on his deal. So his, his contract is strange, but this is why I don't really get the fuss about uh, fans in general, like NBA fans saying that the Knicks aren't going to be able to move his deal. It's actually like very favorable. He gets paid like, I think it's like 18 million or 19 million this year which is almost an expiring because next year it's not really a true team option. But if the deal gets guaranteed, he's on the books for only 4 million. It's a, it's like a weird setup, but it's, he's basically on like a, like a almost expiring or you're getting a, 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 you know, at least a very efficient, good offensive player for $4 million next year. So, okay, yeah, I don't really, I don't really get the big fuss about his deal, but um, I don't know what they're doing with him. I don't really understand, and I, I actually like Randall a lot, you know, coming out of uh, Kentucky, and I liked him a, a lot with the Lakers. And I thought when when we had Porzingis, I thought those two were like a a dream matchup in the front court uh, for the four five. But you know, of course, I don't get them at the same time. I got just Randall later on after I just had Porzingis alone. So it is what it yeah, is. Yeah. But um, I don't know what they're gonna do with him, man. It, it's it's curious because they. They're obviously pushing OB a lot. That's obviously a you know a pick they want people to be excited about. That's a guy they want to kind of feature, but you can't really feature him because you paid Julius Randle this money to kind of be the de facto featured guy. So my my hunch was you don't draft OB Toppin at eight and make it the worst kept secret in the NBA and gush about how much you love him and you couldn't believe he fell to you and you just had to take him. And you don't put all this stuff out there if you plan to like sit him. A lot or not, you know, so to me, it was like, I thought they're going to move Randall. I didn't know how quick I'm, I'm kind of thinking they're just going to start Obi off the bench to start the season now and then try not to play them together and try to move them at the deadline. Maybe it's a little easier then, but I, because you can't play Obi with Randall ever like that. It's just not a thing. You can't I mean, you could, you just like, we get killed defensively. Yeah. It would get the only possible way you could try to and again, I'm I'm, not, I'm entertaining it just for the sake of it. But like the only way you could try to do it is if you were going to get nuts and be like, all right, look, we're leaning all the way into offense. Mitch, get out of here. We're putting Obi at the five. We're getting crazy. Randall at the four. RJ at the three. Give me like quickly at the two. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, Den- Dennis isn't a shooter, but Dennis is at least the guy who gets up and down the floor. He's a better, uh, you know, pick and roll threat, pick and pop guy. So I feel like if you do something like that, that's the only way like you could possibly be thinking to go with it, which is like, we're just running and looking for a bunch of points real quick. Like, cause what else, what else would you do that? I've I've heard some whispers about Obi at the three for why, for what, what what possible reason? That that is, that's the Knicks I expected, right? Like that, like Obi, Mitch and uh, Randall on the floor at the same time. Like that's the Knicks I know. Now in fairness, in fairness, cause you know, I want to give the Knicks their defense here too. When we were on, uh, we were at media day the other day and OB day uh, OB came on and uh, we were pressing him a little bit about which position 
he was going to play? It's an important question. We got to know. If, if it's the three, we got to know now so we can get angry. If it's the four and the five, we can relax. But um, <laughs> he ca- he said one thing twice, which struck me. So, like, the first time he got asked kind of, like, broadly how they were going to play or whatever. And he was like, yeah, you know, but, you know, I, I just don't think they'd ever put me in a position to not be successful or do things that I'm good at. And it didn't really, like, get me the first time. But then the next time they, they pressed him specifically on the positional question. They said, hey, you know. Where do you think, like kind of setting them up to say something about the three? Because they're like, where do you think you're going to spend more time? You know, the four or the five? Or is that something you guys have been talking about? You've been working with Kenny Payne a lot. He's, you know, a big man guy. So, you know, is, is that the assumption? And he's like, you know, again, these guys wouldn't put me in a position to not be successful or play where I'm best at. So he just kept like reiterating, like, they're not going to put me someplace I'll suck. And it was like a weird, I hadn't heard that from a young player. It was mostly like, yeah, you know, I'm going to thrive where I'm at. But he kept like focusing on, you know, I'm not going to go where I stink. So mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any credence to that. Again, it's just media day, so definitely could just mean nothing. But I would hope that they're not putting him at the three because it doesn't make any sense. That's basically what they did during the Bargani trade. They were just like, oh, so we just figured out how to play small ball and mellow at the four and Tyson at the five. Cool. So bump mellow back up to the three. We're throwing bargs in at the four. We're getting crazy. And everyone's like, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. Everybody hates this. It's like, I feel like you're just forcing the issue if you put OB at the three. Like, just sit on it. Let him be a bench scorer. Let him feast on some, you know, NBA second units. You know, get acclimated with the NBA. It's not the worst. I'm in very impatient, but it's not the worst plan in the world. And if you could move off Randall after 20 or so games, all right, then that's a pretty good season still, I think. But I, I don't, I don't know. They can't play them together. That's that's my only. That's how you lose me this season. If you play them together, that's how you're gonna lose me fast. All right, I'm gonna be looking for that on the preseason game on Friday. It's like how many Randall Ob minutes are we getting? It might be immediate. It, I it it might. I, I promise you. I'm like I'm. I joked, but I'm waiting for the starting lineup, and it's gonna be like Alfred Payton, Austin Rivers, R.J. Barrett. Um, Julius Randle and like Nerlens Noel and be like what are we doing here guys or they're going to throw Obi in at the three with like you know Randle and Nerlens at the five because they won't commit to Mitch starting once again so it's like I I just need I need this game to get here I've I've never been more excited for a Knicks Pistons game in my life because I just need answers I've been I've been complaining about this on the pod for a long time I just need answers I need something new besides hypotheticals and and what my worries are I just got to see something that I can get angry about something new you need clarity. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. The Another guy I wanted to ask you about was DSJ. We had some DSJ to Detroit rumors uh, a couple of years ago, maybe last year. That never really happened, but I know he has his fans in the front office. He uh, he rebuilt his shot from the ground up for the second offseason in a row. Yep, That's yep. always a good sign. Uh, <laughs> do you have any hope for him like coming into this year? Or are we just kind of like, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. I do, but only because I was uh, – he was the, the guard I wanted the Knicks to draft the first oh, time. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So coming out of college, I obviously I, I'm not the only one. I mean, he was a very exciting prospect coming out of NC State. So I fell for him there. Um, I'm going to believe in him undyingly because he's one of those prospects who captivated me that way. But, um, I mean, he was bad, man. Uh, I'll cut right to it. He forgot how to play basketball last year, and it, and it brought me a lot of a lot of pain. I mean, he had some off court issues. I think his stepmother died. It was a pretty big tragedy in his life. They're very close, but um, he was hurt also to start the year. And so I, I don't want to sit here and you know make it sound like 
it was all on just him being bad because there was actual context to it too. But is he not kind of a Tibbs PG? Is he not kind of like the most dollar general Derrick Rose Tibbs connection? You could, <laughs> I mean, is that not like, so the reason I'm saying this is because obviously the first two years, I'm not going to sit here and say he was like a world beater. He was something amazing, but you know, first two years as a young point guard of the NBA, 15 and five is nothing to scoff at. Okay. Like he was not as efficient as you want, but the second year in Dallas, his shot was coming along really well before his back got hurt. Uh, pretty much right after he got to New York where everything fell off a cliff thereafter. So to me, it was like, I don't know what, he's supposed to be or what he was on track to be but i thought he was a 15 and 5 player building on something and i thought that's something in this nba even if it's a little bit rough around the edges so i don't know if that guy is still there but if you can get him if you could even just get him back to like his rookie season form at this point i think that that the knicks would consider that a pretty big win um you know obviously we always have holes at pg i i think they heard the noise about alfred uh, loud and clear, but I don't know if these other uh, guards uh, on the roster are enough to somehow get this uh, away from Alfred Payton. So they, he's got to prove it at this point. He's got the potential. Um, when he first got here last year, uh, you know, after the KP trade, he was very, very engaged, uh, getting up and down the floor really well, making a lot of big, big plays, explosive plays, and not just uh, scoring. He was also passing really well, finding guys in the corner. A lot of good, you know, driving kicks, you know. So, especially Mitchell Robinson, they had a beautiful pick and roll going while they were there. Very quickly, they developed chemistry. A uh, lot of lobs between those guys even last year. So, I don't know how confident I would be, but I do think that Knicks fans have been a little bit dramatic with how bad he's been. So, we we shall see uh, all indications from the Knicks. The Knicks do. I never put stock in the Knicks reports because they, they do this every year with everybody. So you have like, there's always noise, but, oh, yeah. but they've been doing this with Dennis. They did it with Dennis last year where they were bullish on him coming into the year. He, you know, Fizdale saying he's taken over camp, taken over every day, every day. And then you'd ask him, well, is he going to start? I don't know. I don't know. I thought, that was a, I thought that was a weird thing. Like normally if, if your young guard is, is taking over and dominating, normally that means he's ready to just start. But what do I know? Uh, this year, same like you said, they're, they're working on his, his jumper again. Supposedly it's better again. Uh, remains to be seen again. But I, I, I don't know, man. I'd like, to, I'd like to think that for once they hired a, a developmental staff. Like so many well-respected developmental staff kind of guys that like it's impossible for them to fail. I feel like they, they're trying to safeguard themselves with as many like safe, respected names at this point. Like I don't even feel like they're doing it to be a good basketball team. They're doing it to show that they hired the smart, all the smart good guys, like in one fell swoop. Yeah. So again, these these are guys from OKC or um from Utah or from everywhere else that they've been pulling them from that have, you know, uh Kenny Payne from Kentucky. Like these are guys with a good track record of working with bigs or working with young players and having them come along. So it's like, I'd like to believe that, you know, you can help get him somewhat back to what he was at. I mean, I I don't think it should be that difficult. I really do think David Fisdale was just like really a bad head coach. Like whatever was happening here was like offensively inept, like for everybody, like everybody was, even if you looked at Julius Randle's numbers, 
This is this is how I know because even if you look at Julius Randle's numbers, Julius Randle in the Fisdale era was like abysmal. And then if you only look at the Mike Miller games, he's like in a like a pretty damn efficient twenty and ten, and like the defense even picked up a little bit. It was very very strange. So I, I don't know. I'd like to think Tibbs, even at his worst, is like a pretty mediocre, okay coach, and mm-hmm. maybe again the bar is hell here. Maybe that's enough to get him back on track. No, I mean I could see it. I mean. <laughs> he had one of his only good games of his career against the Pistons sure in did. Detroit. And and so I you know I've always been like <laughs> maybe that guy you could get that guy on a more consistent basis and uh maybe he wouldn't score 30 points every night but he'd still be, you know, again something worth developing. And it would be it would be pretty smart to be able to extend him at a low value contract and then continue developing him into a like very solid backup level point guard who just like kills you with athleticism but man yeah that that shot you you really gotta you really gotta see it i'm surprised that uh fizdale was such a you brought a fizdale a bunch and i'm surprised uh he was that bad for you guys i guess i'm not because he got fired so early in the season but uh he had such a great reputation you know coming out of Miami, even coming out of Memphis, the Memphis situation like went a little bit weird. So you could talk yourself into it. I was hiring him because of Memphis. That's the thing that kills me. I loved what he did in Memphis, even with the Gasol issue, because I was like, he got Gasol taking threes. They cut out all the mid range. They went from like middle of the pack and mid range to like last in the near last in the league. They went from like near last in three point shooting to like middle of the pack all in one season. And I was like, this is that's exactly what you would want. Just, you know, right. clean up the yeah. shot selection a lot. And then I, I like really to this day, like I'm bamboozled as to like what what happened. Cause like I get the roster was garbage, don't get me wrong, but like even the play style, like it, it, the, the, the first season, it was literally just like Moutier doing whatever he wanted every possession. It's not a joke. Or he would then just give the ball to Kevin Knox against second units, and then Kevin Knox would just run wild. That's it. Just full, full <laughs> sprint up and down the court. Like that's it. Back and forth. Like, they, they would try to get him the ball, like, you know, on, on a dribble handoff, like, right near the logo to give him a running start. And it would just be Kevin Knox running at the rim. Like, that was the whole offense. So it was like, yeah, man, I was frustrated. It's like, I like that guy. Like, he's obviously a smart coach. I don't just no idea, or used to be. I just, I'm, I can't believe, like, how, like, backwards they were playing. It, just, it makes no sense to me how, ba- like, how so far backwards they went. Yeah, man, that uh, that does sound pretty crazy. Actually, Knox reunited with Kenny Payne. Is there is there a thing there, or are we we're I'm, just completely out on Knox? I, I mean, I, I I would love to answer, but I'm sort of drowning in Kentucky guys here, so it, it could be anybody with Kenny Payne. It could be Julius Randle with Kenny Payne. It could be really anybody at this point. It's just the the Kentucky Knicks are, are in full swing. They aren't even hiding it. It's the worst kept secret in sports at this point. Uh, Coach Cal is just is just standing for the Knicks left and right. It's it's a little bit disgusting. Wait, it's Randall, Noel, uh, quickly, Knox. Who else am I missing? Anybody? Did Al- no Alfred Payton went to like uh, some other school? But yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of Kentucky dudes. And I mean, like, it's not even the great Kentucky dudes. <laughs> Nah, it's it's not like we got Michael Kidd Gilchrist now, Nerlens Noel. Oh, like, we, I totally like, missed that. Yeah, Thank I you. mean, we got. It's just we got all like the 
the guys who just kind of made it in and we've just been hanging around. Like we got nobody noteworthy, nobody great. And again, hey, maybe maybe we end this with the Carl Anthony Towns. Like who knows? Who knows, man? All I know is the Knicks have a bunch of draft picks, a bunch of money to spend, and they're looking to make some kind of a trade because you do not hire Leon Rose, the power agent, and Tom Thibodeau, the veteran now head coach, to rebuild a bunch of kids. That's all I know. You're playing in something. I don't know what it is. It might be awful, but you're you're playing in something. So I'm I'm waiting to see what swing they think they're about to take. I I can't wait to see what they look like on the court on Friday and again on Sunday. Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Let the people know where they can find you, where they can find your work, where they can find your musings about the New York Knicks. Yeah, so uh, make sure you're following the Knicks wall first and foremost. That's my baby. Um, go check us out, uh, you know, the Knicks wall podcast. Uh, I like to think it's an intelligent Knicks conversation where we're not biased. If you could tell from the way that I talk about this basketball team here. So go check that out. Uh, make sure you're following Whistle Sports on all platforms that uh paying my bills right now. So shout out Joe and the gang. Um, that's pretty much it, man. Uh, you can follow me at Kyle Maggio. It's just my whole name, which is very exciting uh, on every platform. So, you know, go do that as well. But uh, that's pretty much it, man. Just excited to get back to it, get back into the swing of things. Watch our garbage, garbage franchises try to play the sport known as basketball. So all feels right. It definitely, I feel, it feels good that like, hey, it's like at least like we start against each other, right? There's nowhere to go but up for for both of us at the same time. I'm telling you, when I saw the preseason schedule and I saw Pistons Cavs, I was genuinely excited. That's And it feels gross saying that out loud. I was like, thank God, man. The last thing I was trying to do is start against like, oh yeah, we got Sixer Celtics back to back, like, because it's all regional and. I, I like seeing at least like Pistons Cavs because it's like, all right, man, like I can actually even with some gross lineups, I could actually get a, a couple of decent looks at this team against other, you know, shitty talent. And we can actually do this. All things fair, all things even. We can kind of like, you know, step our toes back into the water nicely against one another and, you know, walk into the season nicely. Yeah, just 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 ease back into things. Right. Just ease them back into things. Try. All right. You can follow me. On Twitter at Last Chance, that's at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh, you can listen to my other podcast, the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. Uh, you can follow my work at DetroitBadBoys.com. Uh, this has been the Pistons versus Everybody podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. See you then. <laughs>